This is The Walk, the podcast where we talk to athletes, celebrities, and everyday Christians doing extraordinary things. And it's no better time to start than now. Let's get right to this edition of The Walk. My name is Tom Sherman. I'm with Benchmark Mortgage here in Dallas. We're a large privately held mortgage bank here in the Dallas area, actually licensed in several states about 40 states. And one of the things that makes Benchmark unique is that in a world that has really been disrupted with everything that's occurred in the financial industry in the last several years, Benchmark is a company that really focuses on the stewardship of the client. We want to make sure that we don't just help people get into a mortgage loan. We want to help them make sure that they get into the right mortgage loan that's that's really going to help them get to a better place financially and be better stewards of their resources. Right now, the mortgage market is very commoditized. The same products, the same rates, the very similar fees from one lender to the next. And what really separates us as a company is our focus on not just getting a loan, but helping the client get the right loan for their their needs. Well, that was Tom Sherman of Benchmark Mortgage. And our guests today, David, are Tom and Jen Sherman. They've got a great story to tell. I met them actually for the first time when I took um, one of your discipleship classes. Yeah, Tom and uh, Jennifer Sherman. Do you want to be Jen or Jennifer throughout our time together Let's today? Let's go with Jen. Only my dad calls me Jennifer. Okay, so. good, good. It's a good clarification off the jump because I don't want to mess that up. Yeah. But uh, Tom and Jen, good friends of mine. Tom's a local business owner and you'll hear more about that here throughout our time together. But fellow Bible fellowship teacher, he's a deacon, spiritual leader in our church at Prestonwood in, in a number of different ways. A guy that has mentored and has spoken into my life and uh, just a great, great friend. So excited to have them on the show today. Thank you guys for joining us. And first, let's hear Absolutely. about how you guys met, first of all. Well, we met at Sela Vista Baptist Church when we were in college. Tom was going to Trinity University in San Antonio, and I was attending UTEP, and he came home for Christmas. And um, I'll never forget, I saw him sitting two pews in front of me, and he had one arm around his mother and one arm around his grandmother. Whoa. (laughs) Nice So I thought, okay, that's the kind of guy I want to meet. So I acted interested in purchasing a puppy from his mom. She had bred puppies. So Mm -hmm. I used that as an excuse to go up and talk to them and meet him. Yeah, so I I saw Jen. I was coming back from school in San Antonio, and I walked into El Paso uh, at Sail Vista Baptist Church, and there were very attractive women in El Paso, but Jen stood out. I, I can still remember the, the jacket she was wearing, the, the white jacket in the 80s that she was wearing, or early 90s. And was that the first it, time you met her? Yeah, that was the first time we met her. Nice. And I told my grandma, I said, I, I got to get to know her. And my, my grandma said, yeah, she's, she's a cute one. And uh, so we were in, in Bible fellowship class together, and we started dating. And uh, two years later, we were married. The rest is history. Rest so is I got to ask, was it a members-only jacket, Jen? No, no, Why? no. It was okay. a cream-colored blazer. You know, oh, the blazer. 90s, okay. you wore all cream. Cream <laughs> blazer, cream <laughs> slacks. And... Not like a white, like acid wash jean no, kind no, of. No, no, no. We dressed Wait. up for church. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. What kind of puppies were you looking at? Okay, she bred uh, the Alaskan Eskimos, those cute little white puppies. Very nice. In fact, for my birthday that year, we'd been dating, so for my birthday... He threw a surprise party, which he didn't know at the time. I hate surprises, hate surprise parties. So he throws me a surprise party with a surprise puppy. As, as a, a gift. gift. All right. So well I finally done. got the Good puppy. Good and faithful Tom. <laughs> and that lasted about a week, and then I gave the puppy oh, back. No. So <laughs> Nice. nice. 20, 24 years later, she does not like surprises, FYI. He's finally learned that. But you like dogs? But I do love puppies now. Okay. We just got a puppy. So Good deal. We do love puppies. Good deal. So 24 years of marriage. Tell us uh, a little bit about your family and then just 
Tom, go into, I know you're a young businessman. You've been married uh, a few years. You're in the Dallas area establishing your company. And I know just from our previous conversations and our, our friendship over the years, there was a, a relationship that God uh, sent uh, a, a man specifically into your life uh, that was significant in your spiritual uh, growth. Yeah. So um, I got into the mortgage business right out of college and I thought about going to med school and I can remember telling Jen, who was my fiance at the time, I'm going to sit for my MCATs, and if if I pass, I'm going to be a doctor. If not, I'm going to be a, a businessman. And I called her from the the MCAT, and I said, "Well, I hope you wanted to marry a businessman." <laughs> what, what, Didn't feel too enough. good about no, that. Not, not too confident. Yeah, yeah, not too confident there. Just for the record, Tom's father is a, a doctor and a, has a great heart for people, and is a missionary, a medical missionary too. Absolutely. So Ray, raised obviously in in El Paso, and my father was a physician and a missionary in El Paso, and I'd been on mission trips my whole life. And mm-hmm. uh, Jen and I got married that December, and a few months later, I started in the mortgage business. And after about two or three months of doing that, we actually started a mortgage company. Mm-hmm. And then in 97, we moved our family to Dallas. At that time, we had our daughter, Megan, who's now okay. 20 and is about to graduate from Texas A&M. And, yep, we moved here to Dallas, uh, brought the mortgage company here to Dallas, and the company started growing, did very, very well. And we then had our son, Thomas, who's, who's now a senior, about to be a senior at Prestonwood Christian Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, business grew and, and did very, very well. And I can remember in, in uh, 1999, I, I was like so many young young business guys, you know, everything's going great, you think, and... You're, you're running 100 miles an hour and working 100 hours a week. And I was very involved in the church, honestly. And Jen and I, our family was very involved in the church. Our kids were at PCA. But my faith was kind of a, a secondary part of my life. You know, I had my business and I had my family. And I, I figured I'm in Dallas. I might as well throw faith in there, too. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with a gentleman by the name of Bud McGinnis. And Bud said, I'd, I'd like to, to talk to you about your faith. And I'd heard good things about Bud. I'd heard he was a successful business person. And so I said, great, yeah, we'll get together. And I can remember our first meeting where I asked Bud, I said, well, I'm looking for a business coach who can help me grow my business. And if you could help me grow in my faith as well, that would be great. Just kind of an added bonus. Yeah, just an added bonus. And, And I vividly remember Bud saying, you know what, I don't think you're ready. Mm. And and no one in my world would tell me, hey, I don't think you're ready. So I kept pursuing Bud. And finally, he agreed to start meeting with me. And Hmm. Over the next, I, I was a long case. It took me three years to really, really grow and develop. But Bud was there with me, met with me once a week for three years, and really helped me understand what it meant to not just be a Christian, but to take my my faith and really implement it and integrate it into not only my family life, but also my, my work life. You know, and the mortgage business, I can just imagine because, you know, the mortgage business, especially back then, was way up. And then, then down a little bit, but when it was way up, I bet you were working 100, 200 hours a week if you could. Yeah, you know, I'd, part of part of, uh, part of of Jen's and my testimony is that my family was really something I was dragging along with me through my life. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it was as long as I was doing exactly what I wanted to do and my business was doing what I wanted it to do and, you know, I was making the money I wanted to make. Everything I, I was fine. fine to have my family tag along with me. And so it really was a, a hundred hours a week. It was my way or the highway. And, and I really thought that was what I was supposed to do. And Bud really kind of showed me that that's really not the biblical way to, to run your business. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like a case where your intentions were, were great. Your intentions are, you know, I want to work. I want to support yeah. my family. I want to be the best businessman I can be so I can be as much as I can to my family. And you just kind of... 
I don't want to say you forget about the the other part of it, but your priorities are just a little bit out of whack. But it doesn't mean that your intentions are bad by any stretch of the imagination. I agree with that. I I think that for a lot of business people, what starts out with with really good intentions Mm. very quickly becomes something that's driven by your pride and your own Mm self-worth. And I really started to define myself by what I did rather than who I was in Christ. I think it can become destructive in a number of areas of your life. Mm -hmm. So I want to get Jen's perspective. Did Mm -hmm. you notice a change, I'm assuming, pretty much immediately, or was it gradual as he began to to meet with uh, his mentor, his business coach that was now his uh, life coach and mentor? It was definitely a gradual change. You know, Mm -hmm. he had always been walking with the Lord. It was just sort of this work that was always pulling at him and his priorities a little bit out of whack. So I did start noticing changes for sure. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think God really used a ski accident that he was in along with this time of meeting bud and to really like, okay, if you're not going to slow you down, then I'm going to slow you down and I'm going to help you get this straightened out. You know, so I guess it was the year 2000 and we were Mm -hmm. skiing with some friends and I only ski half day if I ski at all. So I skied half day and we actually, (laughs) when I stop feeling my toes, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love it. Um, we had actually had one of those lovely marital, uh, discussions <laughs> the night before and, yeah. you know, said a few things that we probably shouldn't have. So the next day we head up the mountain, I ski half day and I had, I head back to You're where out. we're staying. I'm out and he's mm-hmm. with everyone else. And I get a phone call that says, Hey, uh, Tom's had an accident. He's hurt his shoulder. So can you meet us at the hospital? We're in Lake Tahoe, little hospital in Truckee. You know, there's like two doctors there. So I come into the hospital and I walk through the emergency room waiting room and I see a lot of people sitting out there with hurt shoulders and hurt knees just in the waiting room. Mm -hmm. And so I'm asking them, you know, well, where is my husband? And they said, oh, well, he's back here. And that was when I realized, okay, this is more than just a hurt shoulder. He'd be in this waiting room with everyone else. Yeah. So they had not wanted to tell me how severely he had been hurt because they thought it would scare me. On the phone. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they waited until I got there and they were taking him into surgery right then and the doctor explained Was it like head trauma or was No, it, it was um, back? it was internal injuries. Oh, okay. I was bleeding I was bleeding internally. Oh man. But they didn't really know that at the time right. what it was. Um you know, the doctor knew he was bleeding. The doctor thought maybe he had punctured his aorta. They didn't really know what was going on. So and um, you know, I had to sign the papers. The doctor explained to me he might not make it out of this surgery. Wow. And so that'll get your attention. That what was your perspective on that, Tom? We've you know, I, I don't. Jen. I remember most of it now because of just stories and what I heard. But I was pretty much out. But I, I can remember telling Jen where where all the life insurance was and what to do with the company. And Ooh. you know, it was it was interesting because the the months before that, we had basically been told that financially everything was great and we wouldn't have to worry again and. Uh, business was great, and you know, there's so much pride that comes with that. Mm-hmm. To suddenly be out, and they're telling you you may not make it through the surgery, was was really really emotional for us. Yeah, humbling to say the least. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Did it really put the discussion you had the night before in perspective? Absolutely. It. 
I mean, I think it taught us both to be very careful with your words. Absolutely. You know, when your spouse leaves for the day, mm-hmm. think about what your last words are. You don't Absolutely. know that you're going to have the chance to make amends or see them again. I can't tell you and, how many times I tell Sherry that just kind of as a joke. Like, hey, you really want those to be your last exactly. words? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and like he was talking about, you know, kind of the discussion we had had was about how I felt like I was just kind of living this life with him. Mm-hmm. And so what I had said to him that night before was, I don't know what it's going to take wow. for you to realize this and wake up. Get your attention. Wow, that is breathtaking. And that's, so that is powerful. Then the next day, we realized what it was. And so he was he was in ICU in Truckee in this little hospital for about two and a half weeks. Oh my goodness! And I was there with him, and two and a half um, weeks in an ICU in Truckee. And the doctor that wow. the doctor that saved his life, he was on his way out of town. It was New Year's Eve. Yeah, New Year's Eve. It was New Year's Eve weekend. So he was on his way out of town and they called him back and he turned around. He turned around. He was the only doctor there that could have done the surgery that saved his life. Wow. Wow. Well, you can't argue with it. God's got a plan for uh, sparing and and saving Tom Sherman. And uh, so give us the rest of the story then. God gets your attention. You're on your back and I see you for two and a half weeks and what? Yeah. so, So basically, the next year was was very very challenging for us um at that that same time we'd received a phone call jen jen um that evening it was a it was a friday night jen called her mom and dad to say hey we're taking thomas or me tom into surgery and we don't know if he's going to make it and can you just tell the kids that you know just to pray really really Hmm. and jen's mom says well i need to let you know that your your new son, who was six T-bone months, was eight months eight months old, we've just had to take him to the emergency room because he's not breathing very well. He had and asthma. they're very worried about him as well. Wow! And so for for me, it was one of those situations where you know I'm I'm in and out of mm. out of consciousness really through the whole thing, and Jen's having to deal with all of that. And um, you know, it was amazing because we hadn't we'd been here three years. Maybe in Dallas. Yeah, and the very first people to call our hospital room were pastors from Prestonwood. Before oh, wow. our friends, before anything, they heard that that something was Amen. going on, and mm-hmm. uh, pastors started calling us from Prestonwood. What an encouragement! Yeah. yeah. So for the next next year, I was I was uh, it was it was very difficult to work, and um, the company company still did well, but I was was not working as hard and. Ended up with complications back in the hospital in September and out mm-hmm. for another month and a half. And the, the All good related news was to I lost about almost 80 pounds through the whole process. So I yeah. got my weight back to kind of instant- where I needed to be. That's, That's right. It's yeah, my college fighting weight. <laughs> yes. but, but it was interesting. Through that, I realized that, that Jen was going to be – Jen was there regardless mm. for me. And it, it really challenged Amen. me to, to start really loving her as Christ. Love the church, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It really is amazing how you know the Lord will put you in positions to to really strengthen your relationship with Him, and mm-hmm. sounds like a, a great example of of mm-hmm. the way He works. Well, and I can just speak from from my vantage point as a pastor at Prestonwood, where uh, the Shermans are very active, where their family has grown up in the student ministry and where Tom and Jen have volunteered and led in our in our student ministry and then in our, our young adults and then Tom with the deacons and Jen discipling uh, young ladies. Tell us a little bit 
right now, I know you mentioned your family snapshot with uh, Megan about to graduate, Thomas uh, Jr. T-Bone. I'm assuming he's a junior, Thomas. Absolutely. Little yeah. Tom Sherman. Uh, being a, coming into a senior year at PCA, you're getting close to being empty nesters. So tell us kind of right now what's on the front burner for you guys, just life, family, mm-hmm. uh, and um, faith, all of it. Well, you know, as a mom, when your kids start leaving and you kind of have to reevaluate what your identity is, because for me, I've been a full-time mom. I haven't worked outside of the home, so that's all I did. So it really started happening when my daughter left for college. At the same time that she left, you know, my son went through the normal teenage son behavior of kind of pulling away from mom. Mm -hmm. And so I had to look and see like, okay, Lord, what is it that you have for me now? You know, I'm only... 42. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? I know you have me here for a reason. So it took about a year and I just really searched. I read some great books. Um, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper mm-hmm. and uh, did a Bible study, Restless by Jenny Allen. And God used both of those together to show me that. And he had gifted me in an area of discipleship. And so I had just spent a lot of time praying about that and what that looked like. And he just started opening up door after door after door to pursue that. So that is... Awesome. Uh, basically like a part-time job for me now. I spend, mm-hmm. you know, three to four hours every day meeting with women. We are now mentoring young married couples. Mm-hmm. So it's neat to see how God has used our experiences now with mm-hmm. who we're meeting with. You know, we got met and got married as young singles. Well, now I'm discipling young singles and girls and walking them through finding their spouse and who to yeah. date. And then, um, you know, our young marriage class at Prestonwood, when he went through the ski accident and all of that, our young mm-hmm. marriage class is what ministered to us. Yeah. So now we're part of mentoring in a young marriage class and seeing all of that just come full circle. So, so. You, three to four hours a day with women? In general, yes. Usually one to two meetings a day that go I see her an down hour, there. hour and a half. And then prep, yeah. you know, I usually walk through a different study with each of them. We usually start with the four priorities, but then mm-hmm. once we finish that, yeah. we'll move into another book. So, you know, prep time of reading all the books to mm-hmm. meet with them. And- see, and the, the great thing about that, and, and to be honest with you, the class that I met you guys in mm-hmm. got me to thinking great. about how can I do something like that. So I've just started, and I'm excited about the thought that, okay, the one guy that I'm mentoring right, right now and going through it, how many lives can he touch? Absolutely. I can only imagine if Absolutely. you're doing it and you've been doing it for as long yeah. as you have. How many? Not only are you touching that many lives, but they're going to end up touching lives. And it's a chain reaction. And I have my exactly. first kind of great-granddaughter in discipleship, <laughs> if you want to call it, because a woman yeah. I trained, she started discipling someone, and now the girl she discipled is discipling someone. And Fantastic. so start to really see that trickle effect. Um, I'll give a little plug. I'm actually having a training in April at my home for women, because so many women want to Fantastic. disciple. They just don't know. They think they're not equipped. They think they don't know how. And so I'm just mm-hmm. going to have a little two-hour training for women. And I'm really hoping that it'll get them excited and equipped. Well, I know Tom does the same thing and has been, you know, not only an inspiration to you, but a lot of men at Prestonwood. And and I know it started uh, back as a as a young 20 something young married guy with with Bud. But that's what the Great Commission is. I mean, that's just being obedient to Scripture as you, you read uh, different books and you, and you seek godly counsel and, and you pray. Uh, I'm just so grateful and thankful 
that you and Tom together have modeled that and, and said, yes, Lord, we'll be obedient. Uh, sign us up, put us in the game. Just like Mark said, he's, he's walking with someone now, and then you just start thinking about the the downline of people uh, that God can use to to impact and to touch lives just through those discipleship relationships. Yeah. You want to comment on yeah, that, Tom? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When when we went through, and Jen and I, we, we haven't even touched on a lot of the other health issues we had, and Jen had several health issues as well, and um, that God just brought us through. And as, as we came through those, you really start thinking, well, maybe God wants me to be in the ministry. And I, I think it's so so natural for us to think that we've we've gone through this and suddenly the the things of the world really do start to grow strangely dim and you think well i need to i need to go into the ministry and so for a period of time we just we really prayed about that maybe god's calling us to to sell everything and become missionaries or um you know go into the ministry or or something Mm -hmm. and i i can vividly remember god saying to me what what are you talking about you are in the ministry that's right it it really resonated with me that that We've tried to separate our our work from our our faith, and we we really shouldn't do that. Our our work is just where God has us, and He wants us to live for Him and to share Him with everyone that we meet and That's everywhere right. we work. And one of the things I love about PCA Prestonwood Christian Academy is the whole concept of a kingdom education that teaches you to live your faith, whether you're a physician or a business person or an attorney or you know, the next president of the United States. You know, our faith yeah. is not something that we add on. It, it is our life. Yeah. And so as, as we really made that commitment and we, we committed our, our businesses and our, our, our whole life to him, discipleship was a, a key component to that. You know, so that many you're times both passionate about. we're both compassion, yeah. or passionate about it. And so many times we're consumers as Christianity. We like to go, you know, hear a great message that pastor Mm -hmm. speaks, and then we like to go to a great Bible fellowship and listen to, you know, David teach, and then we like to go hear great music and -hmm. and a great Christmas program, and we really start to check it off the list of of what we're consuming. And I can vividly remember Jen... When, when she was really going through this this um, really life event with, with her and what does she want to do, saying, I don't want to be a consumer anymore. It's mm. it's time that, that I stop consuming and I start start really teaching other people how to giving. how to go in their faith mm-hmm. and to be a to be a giver, not a consumer. You know, one of the things that I'm still working through and That's still good. learning from people like David and Pastor Graham and the people in my Bible classes and people like yourselves is that you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to be a pastor. Right. You don't have to go right. through seminary to disciple to others. And, you know, just pure, simple honesty. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you a story. I want to tell you some great news. I don't have all the answers, but let's walk through this together. Mm-hmm. And the answers Absolutely. are in God's Word. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a key lesson. I, I can't tell you, and Jen and I have talked about this so many times, how many people will say exactly what you just said. Is I'm not, I'm not equipped to... To disciple yeah. another person, and I typically will say, "Does that mean you just don't have the time to invest in another person?" Because that's really what you're saying. Discipleship is about investing your life in someone else's life, mm-hmm. and there isn't a person mm-hmm. out there who knows everything about God's word. Whether you you know speak the Greek and the Hebrew and yeah. have gone to mm-hmm. seminary doesn't matter. You don't doesn't know everything matter. about God's word, and so discipleship really is just about coming alongside another person, another man or another woman, and and mm-hmm. giving your life to them and then pouring into them. Yeah. Well, you look at the example of Jesus, the only plan he had for spreading the gospel to the world was through his 12 disciples. Yeah. And so he 
trained them by doing life with them and they watched him. You know, they didn't go to seminary. They didn't know everything. Mm -hmm. They just had watched the Lord and learned from him how to be a believer and then took that to the world. So to me, that's what we do in discipleship. We just walk alongside someone and show them what it's like to live for the Lord and Absolutely. Well, and we've mentioned the four priorities a couple of times. It's just a simple workbook by Dr. John Tolson. It's nothing magical, nothing overwhelming. It's just a great track for us to to run on, a great tool uh, to utilize. And so that it takes kind of people a little bit off the hook. They don't have to sit there and and prepare a Bible study lesson specifically from God's Word, that the four priorities is replete with Scripture, and it's got plenty of guidance and direction and and Q&A, and it just sets us up. And I'll tell you, I've used the four priorities Mm -hmm. with all kinds of women. So I've used it with a woman who doesn't know anything about the Lord, yep. starting from scratch. Right. And then I've used it with women who have Been grown in up in the church, yeah. pastors' daughters. 20 and 30 and years. And yeah. they'll say, you know, it's so different and fresh mm. in the way it's presented. So it's a great tool. It's good. You know, one of the things I'm learning also, and I'm interested in get your thoughts on this because you've been doing it a lot longer and a lot deeper than I have. But whenever I go through a session through the four priorities, I learn as much about myself. Yes. As Absolutely. I do about the the person that I'm with. That's the great thing about mm-hmm. discipleship is it. Not only are you holding them accountable, mm-hmm. but there's accountability for you too. You it's can't dynamic, show up yeah. and not have spent time with the Lord or read the four priorities or right, memorize right. some scripture. It's, so it's a dual accountability, and I'm blessed by every meeting as much as you know I'm giving to them. So it's awesome. It's a dynamic, life changing, life altering. It's it's life-giving. It's an incredible process. We can't uh, endorse discipleship enough. All right, enough of all this incredible, fantastic spiritual talk, Mark. Let's talk about... I knew this was going to happen. It's only 27 minutes into it. Like, let's good. talk about the Cowboys, all right? So the unique thing about the Sherman family is that Jen is more passionate about uh, the sports, the traditional sports side of an American sports world, if you will, Mark. Okay. But Tom is a sportsman. And what I mean by that is that he likes to to hunt, fish. Tell him some of the things that you're passionate about, Tom, from a sportsman standpoint. Well, you know, when you're hunting and fishing, that's pretty much all you need to worry about, man. That's that's what life is about, I think. It simplifies <laughs> life. Yeah, it simplifies life. So I, I love hunting and fishing, whether it's bird hunting or big game hunting. Travel all over the world, been to Argentina, uh, mm-hmm. which is one of the most amazing places I've ever been. What's hunting. your greatest hunting memory? You know, it, I would say in the last 12 months, it was dove hunting in, in Argentina. No. Um, just, what is that? What does it look like? Because well, I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly what happens. So so being cognizant of our, our uh, listening audience, it's... <laughs> Let's just say there's a lot of birds that you get to shoot at. A lot of birds you get to shoot at. Just picture the movie, The Birds. He okay. said they're just Everywhere. coming at exactly. you, exactly. and you're just shooting. You're just every time you just pull, you're hitting one every time, pretty much. So you're talking three to five thousand birds in a day. Wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So we we love it. Um, hunting and fishing now. Now sports, traditional sports. Yeah. Football, basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm not baseballs real. his baseball. favorite. <laughs> I'm, I'm not real passionate about those things. So thankfully, my wife really is, and we yes. go into separate rooms. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, Jen, how? Where did your? Where did your love for? I, I know I. You and I've had several conversations, just a uh, shared uh, interest and love for the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. Tell us, like, how you came about that. What are the origins, just in your life, of uh, following America's team? <laughs> well, that definitely comes from my dad. 
So he is the most loyal cowboy fan you will ever meet. You know, they have the Dallas Cowboys Star magazine. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, yeah. But he subscribed to that from day one. He mm-hmm. still has every copy of it. I think it's easily 40 years now. Wow. Yeah. And so he just told me a few months ago that they are stopping that publication. I think Uh-oh. it must be going to only online. Exactly. So I am working on getting that set up on his iPad, he which, which he calls it. his machine. So he says he's going to get on his machine and uh, check out the Cowboys news. But so growing up, I knew, like, don't go in and interrupt dad during any football game, much less the Cowboys. Make note of so, that, Jackson, Julia, and Audrey. Yes, good tip for children, Make sure my kids. for sure. And so that was just always instilled in me. Um, I participated in sports, softball, played softball for a long time. I was a competitive swimmer all through high school. And so right. I think when you've participated in sports, you just appreciate that. Um, you yeah. know what it takes to, to get there. To and, yeah. you know, you have that competitive drive, which Tom's competitive in business, but sometimes I don't think he understands that like competitiveness in sports. I'll be all excited. And yeah. so it's definitely a thing between my dad and I. So, you know, I think about mm-hmm. Romo yeah. and like him leaving the Cowboys. That's oh, yeah. the end of an era. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, bittersweet, just everything that I go through, you know, with my dad and our relationship and the Cowboys. My dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's right about when Romo came on the scene. Yeah. And so my dad and I, we've always talked to Cowboys, but, you know, this Romo was like a whole new thing to talk about and be excited about. And I think right. it kind of revived everyone's yeah, it gave love us in the Cowboys. The arm, yes. Yeah. Like this was, this was it. This was our, yeah, we had some dark days in the, the Quincy Carter, uh, <laughs> Chutch. What was Chad Hutchison? I just called days. him Chutch. He was, oh man. Well, it's yeah. funny when you're a sports fan, how, and if you're, if you're a huge sports fan, how you relate everything in your life to what was going on, like with the in Cowboys. In that particular like, season. You know, yeah. hey, that's when the catch happened, or that's yes. when the Cowboys won their first Super It relates Bowl. to you. It's true. It's true, it's Mark. True. It's yeah, I would not, true. I would not relate at all. <laughs> We're all nodding our head except for Tom. When I, when I was a, a, a young, like, preteen and, and young teenager, the way that I always remember what date it was, like if it was Wednesday, I'd think, okay, the Super Bowl was January 30th. That was three weeks ago. And I would do this very complicated, convoluted math, and I would just figure <laughs> out that's what great. today what is in relation to when, to when the Super Bowl was. Because that's all that matters. the hardest, most challenging way to figure out what day it is, but that's that what is I would do. Funny. That is funny. So this is the unique aspect of the Sherman and family. And then right after every game, to bring forth. right after every game, I call my dad, and we... Because he lives in a small town in, in New Mexico, and we go through the whole yeah. game. And I always get the breaking Cowboys news it. here first. Uh-huh. So every day he's like, you know, these last on? couple of months, like, what's the what's the Romo news? And wow. so it's it's a great thing for he and I. I, I think so often it you know does pass down from your family, right? And you think about things you remember with your family growing up, and yeah. the moments that you had with your mom or your dad that were very True. special. And for me. There was no, there were very few sports in my family. My doc, my dad would dad. say, hey. he wouldn't let him play football. Yeah, my dad was a doctor, so every time we he talked about football, risks. he told yeah. me about broken bones Injuries. and broken mm-hmm. knees, and and it you know wasn't bad when he said, well, let's just go fishing in Mexico or let's go do this. Yeah. Like, okay, well, that sounds a lot better than going out and sweating on the football, smashing field, you know? my head up against <laughs> something or breaking an yeah, arm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so go back. I want to go back to the ski accident. 
real quick. Sorry, David. I know you want to stay on sports, but um, how much no, did, how much changed in the way you conducted business and the the way you handled your schedule after mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. You know, I I I will tell you that I think workaholics are probably always workaholics. Um, it's like any kind of addiction, quite frankly, and it's something that that I've to this day still have to look in the mirror and and challenge myself with. I think what changed after my accident was that I realized that it wasn't all about me and that there was lots of other people around me that, that could do things and help out. And it was a way that I was constantly being reminded that it didn't have to be me at the office 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, And it was that was a pretty immediate change. I remember one big change was he used to, before the accident, he would come mm-hmm. in the house after work on the phone. And so that was something, you know, just every day that I noticed a change in. He made a priority of like, he might sit out in the car for five minutes after he pulled in Mm -hmm. to finish that conversation, but he didn't come in the house on the phone. So, you know, the kids could run and greet him and he wasn't on the phone. So little things like that started. That changes the atmosphere of a family. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It just shows them the priorities. Exactly. Now, her... Uh, different men whom God has grabbed a hold of their heart where specifically what you just mentioned, Jen, the utilization of a cell phone or an iPad or just the continual distraction of technology that takes their focus off of their wife, the children, the attention that you just mentioned that those mm-hmm. kids so long for and mm-hmm. crave. That's a, it's a, that's a, it's tough for a man to grasp and it's hard to lay down and, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for you. I'm glad. God I, I can remember Bud asking me. He said, "Hey, show me your your at the time a checkbook. Show me your checkbook and show me your your day planner." Yeah, and I said, "Why calendar. Why do you want to see those?" And he goes, "Well, show me what you do with your time and your money, and I'll tell you what's important to you." And it was mm-hmm. a big aha for me because so often we we say one thing, right? Right. I I can tell my kids and my wife that they're the most important thing in the world to me, right? All but day if long. they never see me. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to start questioning if that's really true. Yeah. And in my case, it 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 really wasn't true. I mean, I said it, but it, they weren't the most important thing to me. And the ski accident was really kind of the the pivot point, if you will, where I said, you know what, my talk is going to start being reflected in my walk. So I've got kind of a personal question. As this transformation starts to happen and Jen starts noticing some of the changes and being challenged by this mentor, was there ever a moment where you as the leader of your family, the husband and father, God's calling you to be, was there ever a moment where you brought your family together and apologized? You know, I I don't recall that they were still really young i or guess, just even made it clear that hey they're going to be some changes i guess yeah they're really young yeah i mean thomas was just one year old and so megan was five so but yeah. but i but would I say what we we started at that time was um every december and we do this to this day mm-hmm. jen and i will get together at the end of the year and we'll look back on the previous 12 months Mm. And we'll look at our time and we'll look at our resources where That's we spend good. our time and our money and we'll evaluate it and make sure we're doing what we need to do. And a lot of times in those situations, we'll sit down and say, you know what, kids, we didn't spend as much time as we needed to here or we didn't give as much as we needed to give or, you know. So the kids we, are included in absolutely. that conversation. We bring and now them that they're that older, process. you know, we turn it into goal setting with them and what do you want to yeah. do and give and this year. So it yeah, start incorporating them as they got older. I, I think so much of this is not 
if if I've learned anything in my life, it's life is a process mm-hmm. and it's a summation of your choices. It's not a, you know, great. I had my ski accident in 2000 and then while everything was different, yeah. that was just the pivotal point. There's been time after time after time since then that we've had to make little minor adjustments, right. adjustments in our time with each other and our, our everything about our life, whether it's our calendar or our economics or whatever might be the case. That's yes. a great practice that a lot of families I think can glean from just coming together, whatever time, if it's December, if it's June, if it's January and just taking uh, a look back at how we've spent our time, how we spent our resources, and as a family mm-hmm. together, prayerfully, God, did we honor you? Were we good stewards of all you've entrusted? Man, that's kudos to you guys, and I know that's something that then I want to take back and talk to my wife about. I'm sure many of our listeners would want to pray over. Well, that would have been a great place to end this episode, but Shivers could not resist asking one final sports question. We get a prediction from Jen on the Cowboys record next year. Dak, second year. Zeke in the fold. Tony will be in the booth calling some yeah, games. Yeah. Totally Super, different. Super Bowl champs. Super Bowl champs. <laughs> does, she, does she say that every year, Tom? <laughs> she drinks yeah. the Jerry every Jones Kool-Aid. If they win, I'll send her the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, he's been saying that? that every year. Awesome. It'll be the year. No, I think you're you're pretty safe. Yeah. If you only if you don't have to come through like once every twenty five years, you're yeah. Yeah. I've saved a lot of money by offering that. Well, Tom and Jen Sherman, it's been a pleasure having uh, you guys join Mark and I on the walk. Thank you for uh, your honesty. Thank you for your transparency and just your faithfulness uh, to your Lord and to your family. And we just appreciate you guys. Thank you all very Absolutely. much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Wow, what a great example of what everyday Christians can do when they're walking with the Lord and how they can impact other people. After the interview, David and I asked Tom to talk a little bit more about his business. You know, as as a mortgage lender, one of the things that I always teach and, and tell people is that we need to be more than what we do. And what I mean by that is the mortgage process is really a commoditized process. And anyone can get you a mortgage loan in today's environment. You know, the numbers are, are very standardized. The loan products are very standardized. The guidelines are very standardized from one lender to the next. What we've focused on, again, is being more than what we do. And so our goal is when a client comes in, we're not just looking for another loan. We're looking for ways that we can serve that client. And regretfully or or positively, we'll have clients that will come in looking for a mortgage loan. And as we're going through the qualification process, we'll discover that they've got some marital challenges they need to work through. And so we'll refer them to a, a marriage counselor before they actually get a mortgage. Or they'll come in talking about a 30-year mortgage, and we'll start talking to them about their financial goals, and they'll leave with with a 15-year mortgage. We'll talk to our clients about their tithing and their giving needs and what their real passion is. What what do they really want to fund with their life? And when you realize the home purchase is the largest purchase that most people ever make, if we don't consider all of the other things that are in that client's life— their marriage, their family, their financial goals, their financial dreams. If we don't consider all those things, it's very, very likely that we would put them into a a loan that really didn't help them achieve what they wanted to achieve. So again, our goal is to be more than what we do, and we we believe that our our clients experience that. Best way to reach me is uh, cell phone, 214-680-1166, or my email, which is tom.sherman at benchmark.us. Let me just say that Holly and I 
have been very blessed by just Tom Sherman, the entire Benchmark team. They've done a fantastic job on our last two mortgages. And Holly and I are very pleased and grateful for Tom Sherman, the entire Benchmark team. Uh, Our loans we've done with them have been extraordinary, and we are clients for life.